All right, well, we get to continue on in our study of John, and we're getting towards the end of it here, which is kind of sad. I love John. Um, all right, so John 21, 1 through 19, we're going to read this together. Um, and I don't That's Justin's. I'm going to knock that down probably, so put it there. All right, so, um, you know... Last week, you guys got to hear about the Doubting Thomas story, essentially, and, uh, and um, how Justin connected that to deconstruction to this day and also detoxing of church and, and Christianity in a lot of ways. Um, I, I like to look at that as people are mostly detoxing not from Jesus, but from Jesus people, typically, because it's the people that screw it all up. You know, Jesus didn't screw it up, right? So... Um, but, you know, what's interesting is is uh, is this kind of ties into a little bit of what we talked about last week. And so um, just kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of dive into it a little bit. But let's read it together. I love to read it out loud. So why don't you guys read loudly with me? Here we go. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught, just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, the, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, 
You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is he. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, uh, Lord Jesus, this is a huge, um, important part of Scripture, um, I, I believe, because we, we, we really, you know, Peter ends up going off and starting, you know, the first church. And so we get to really experience something that um, that is, you know, life-changing. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we um, dive into this, that we will um, trust you. And that we will realize that you have a lot to say to us. And Lord, that you will encourage us on, on how to um, follow you the, the deepest way that we can through these words. Thank you. Amen. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, I love this story. I love this story for lots of reasons. Um, I actually have always, uh, whenever anybody's asked me when they don't know me, but they're a Christian, because this is very christian easy of me to say, um, that's our Christian language, by the way, um, where we say cheesy things that sound Christian, right? Well, um, whenever a Christian asks me, like, you know, we, we get to know each other, whatever, I'm always telling people, well, I'm kind of a, a Peter jumping out of the boat kind of guy, you know? I like to talk about myself in that way because... You know, there is a reality here that Peter is, uh, he's just bold and brash and really like a, like a, you know, he really just doesn't think very much, you know, and, 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 but, and so Jesus has to remind him in very obvious ways why he is in the position that he's in right now, okay, and I'm in the same boat, I do this all the time, I definitely make a lot of I do a lot of things, and I have to, like, ask the question, why did I do that? Many times, you know? So, um, anyway, so that's why I love this story, because it connects to me in so many ways, and I'm sure you guys will all find ways to connect with it. So let's look at this first section of Scripture. And it's really just this this scene where, where uh, you know, Peter is like, you know what? We're doing nothing. Let's go fishing. You know, I love how simple that is. That sounds so redneck. You know, it's it's like, well, what do you want to do today? Let's go fishing. You know, and you know, there's there's a lot there. I do actually think they were kind of rednecky of their Jewish ways. You know, because they were definitely, I mean, a few of them were were uh, really well educated, of course, but a few of them were were not. They were more of this. You know, simpleton, I guess you would like to look at it. A normal person, a lay person. That's me. I'm normal, lay, simpleton in a lot of ways. And so I, I totally connect with that. I'm not a fisherman, though, but anyway. So he says this, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. But, you know, this actually this little section is actually super important to the story. Um there's actually three realities that we can identify with, all of us. And, you know, how I'm going to kind of, like, connect this is I'm going to say there's, there's – you guys all are going to fit in these three categories, and this is how you can connect with this specific story, okay? So let's look at each one of these. One, why was he going fishing? Why was he going and, – uh, and why was everybody following him? Well, because he, Peter was going back to life. 
He was going back to normal life, back to regular life. And I like to look at this though as he's going through a process where he's going, I'm just gonna go back and live my old life, okay? In a lot of ways. After a major life-changing event, like Jesus coming and living with him for three years and then dying and all these crazy things happening and him seeing miracles happen in front of his face, that is, you would say that that's a major life-changing event, right? More life-changing than anything that probably you guys have experienced, but we all have experienced major life-changing events. Now that could be positive life-changing events or it could be negative. We like to look at that actually um, when it's negative is we look at that as trauma. That's a really big word in our culture right now is we're going to talk about trauma or things that trigger us to remind us of the hard things. But then there's also the good major life changes, which is going to be having a baby or it's going to uh, or getting married or it's going to be saying yes to Jesus for the first time or going to church and God really changing your life. Right. After a major life-changing event, we can all quickly get back to regular life, though, and almost forget about what happens to us. Um, it, this is, for any of you guys that have grown up in the church and you went to youth camp, this is a great example. You go to youth camp, I was an AG kid, so somebody's a God kid, very Pentecostal in a lot of ways, so... We went to youth camp, we spoke in tongues about 50 times, we, we got filled with the Holy Spirit, I said yes to Jesus every camp, you know, and, and I thought my life was going to change, and then really about a week later, I was doing all the bad stuff that I was not supposed to be doing, you know, after I got back. And it, it wasn't that, I'm not saying that AG Youth Camp was doing anything wrong, I mean there's some things that I could argue that was a little weird, but mostly... This is just a thing that we do sometimes, is when, when, we, when we have a big life change, we think, okay, that life change is going to just completely make us a different person, but really, it actually takes a lot of work to become that person that God wants us to become. Mm -hmm. And we see this after the greatest major life change you could ever see. You see Jesus die, Peter has now actually seen Jesus come back from the life and come into a room, poof, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, showed up into this room. So it's not like he hasn't already seen the risen Jesus. He's not even seen the risen Jesus. But he's like, let's go fishing. we got nothing to do. And it's so interesting because if you go back to a couple weeks ago when we did talk about that, I don't think that Jesus ended that conversation with, hey, by the way, you should just go back to normal life and go fishing. He doesn't end it that way. He gives them mission, I think we even talked about. He, he, he tells them, go and change the world. I don't remember the exact wording, but that's, that's essentially what he's trying to say. Now, we do this also as a coping mechanism to combat the loss, the mourning, and the confusion. This is something we go back to normal life. Um, I, it's really hard when, after you have a baby to go back to normal life because normal life doesn't actually exist anymore. And if you guys have had your first kid, um, you are, I think you're kind of still enamored with the idea of having a first kid and that's kind of fun, but you're really tired. But after you have your third, fourth, fifth, second, however many, I have eight, so you get to that number and you're like, wow, the normal, 
Like, I cannot even imagine. When people say that they go and they have a date, to me, a date is bringing one or two kids with me, okay? We always have a, a, a average family in the West, on the West Coast with us on our date. It just always happens. And so it just is what it is. Like, so regular life does change, but we still can somehow make it regular. We still make it regular. And I think that the, the Jesus life, although in a lot of ways, the new, the risen, uh, the resurrection life that we're supposed to live has this similar uh, feeling that we, we are changed and we really experience something awesome for a little while, but then it becomes really normal and regular again. And then we just start kind of going fishing. We start to just do the normal things that, I'm not saying fishing is bad. You guys have your normal jobs, that's what their job is. But ultimately, um, you're not living that mission that God's called you to do, you're just doing the regular things and you're not actually being intentional is what I'd like to say. And so, the problem is, is that you get to a point where you go, did that really change my life? If you don't, if you go back to regular life, you ask that question, did it really change my life? Because I don't feel that much different anymore, you know, after a period of time. So that's one way, you guys could be in that spot. You could be living your normal, regular life, post Jesus changing your life, but you're asking what really changed in my life? That's one of the questions you need to ask yourself. Number two, another thing that's happening, but life was just not the same, and he's realizing that. Life was just not the same. <coughs> but a new life affected by Jesus' experience. So Peter is also processing the fact, he's, he's doing regular life things, but he's also having to process the fact that he had lived alongside Jesus, saw him do radical things, experienced him, sacrificed to the death. And even more monumental for Peter specifically, Peter had to live post the idea that he denied him. Like, he's having to live in the shame. And so, going back to fishing was not just regular life, but it was also a reminder of his shameful acts, his sins, his mess-ups. A self-afflicted shame is what I wrote down. And I think we all fit this category. We've all self-afflicted shame on ourselves. Peter was a trauma victim, if you want to look at it. He experienced really hard stuff in the same way many of us all have been. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, I never really thought about trauma. I never really thought about this kind of stuff because I just lived my life. And I just don't think I ever asked these questions. Um, but more recently in my life, I've been asking, like, you know, there are things about my, my growing up that was pretty trauma, traumatizing, but I didn't really think about it. And it's interesting because I think when you look at, I don't want to just throw everybody in like boomers and, you know, whatever. That seems to me really extreme to, to look at generations, but I don't think that um, my parents grew up thinking of trauma, like, like actually having to process trauma healthily. And now I think we're having to do that. We're having to go, hey, this stuff is paying a toll on us and we're choosing to not follow Jesus. We're choosing not to go to church because of things that we've experienced in church that are traumatizing. So trauma is a real thing. 
he experienced something very traumatizing, but he did it to himself. He chose to do these things, and that's really hard. It's really hard. So this is something also that some of you guys might be experiencing. Maybe the reason why you're not wanting to be that involved in church, or maybe you know people that are in this position, and it's because of things that you've actually done that you are ashamed of and you don't want to be a part of something that's going to be so close-knit, a community that's going to reveal your problems and reveal those things. So that's another thing that Peter is trying to process this while just going fishing. I know for me, my fishing is playing the guitar. It is. It's like when I'm going to go through my all the things that I'm dealing with, I'm going to go play guitar and I'm just going to sit in a room and I'm just going to play and I'm going to think. And I'm going to go process through. So that's what he's doing. Number three, another thing you guys could fit in is also not just going back to old life, not just having to process the life that he's had with experience with God or with Jesus specifically, but then also he's having to process this looming thing that's a future life that is being called of him. He's not just processing what he's done and the things that he had seen, but what he has to see, what he has to do. And I don't know about you guys, I actually think this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part because when you say yes to Jesus, which is what we're gonna learn the rest of the scripture, is when you say yes to Jesus, that anything that you've gone through before Jesus, you'll actually experience things almost just as hard in the future. Now the difference is, is you have God's power in you. You have God's uh, grace. You have his, his um, understanding of mercy and love. And so these things um, make life easier when you go through the hard stuff. Before you felt lonely, you don't feel as lonely anymore. You have God. As we were singing, Lord, I need you. We were saying uh, in that song, it talks about, um, you know, having somebody to hold on to when you cannot stand anymore. That is the difference of the hard stuff you're going to go through in the future, is that actually you have Jesus to hold on to. But you're still going to go through the same things. And Peter knows this. Peter knows that it's not just you get saved and your life is now easy for the rest of your life. Any of you guys have been saved for even a... a a decent amount of time, you realize that life is actually pretty hard, and you're having to deal with it. So these are the three things that I think we could all process. You could be in that boat. You could be in the. You could be in that boat. It's funny. That was actually a pun. I did not plan on. But you could be in that boat, and you could be experiencing your old life. You could be experiencing a new processing of man, what just happened? All the things that have happened to me, and what, you know, why did I screw up like this? Or you could be going, God, I want to follow you, but I don't know if I want to do the things you're wanting me to do. So those are the three places that you're going to come to today. So when that happens, this is the good news. We're going to jump into it, where it says. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is what's awesome is no matter where you are in this processing, these three places, what will happen is God will come to you and he knows what's going to speak to you. He knows this and he's gonna show up 
in a godlike manner. Manner. He's not going to show up uh, like I don't believe you're going to go. Is that you, God? I think when you say, God, I need you, I need you in my life, I need you to reveal yourself, God is going to do something awesome in your life. And that is comforting to know that God is going to speak to me in a very powerful way. And that's what he does with them. Jesus reminds us that he is God. He is real. And our experience was true and powerful. He will remind you of the experience you did have with him. And then ultimately, he is worthy to be followed, and the gospel is life-changing. He's going to remind you of that when you're in these three places, when I'm processing my old life. And he's going to go, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about your old life. And then you're going to say, yeah, but I experienced this, and I messed up. And he's going to be, don't worry about that you messed up. The gospel's real. He's going to remind you of these things. And then when you're looking at the future, you say, God, what about the future? I don't know if I can do this for you. And he's going to remind you, I came through that one time when you were down, when things were going bad. I came through. And he's going to prove prove to you over and over again that he is God. That's what I'm trying to say there. Okay. The next piece of the scripture is really cool because uh, this is where Jesus, this is where Peter jumps out of the boat. The other disciples came, or let's see, uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and he was stripped, and he was, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He knew it, he knew it because God revealed himself. What kind of posture happened with Peter? Is he's like, I've just got to follow him. I've got to go and be next to him. That's the kind of posture that Jesus wants from you when he shows up and he reminds you of his goodness and the things that he's done. It's the same thing. We need to connect with that. Jesus has Peter right where he wants him now. He wants us to be willing and ready to jump when he realizes it's him. We need to be in the same boat. I love that pun now. It's great. God is in a lot of things in our life, but we miss it a lot. When our eyes are open to his goodness, to the love he is pouring out on us, we will be compelled to be close to him. That's really cool. I'm so thankful that it isn't my job to be compelled to be with him, but that God actually shows up and it's a natural reaction to his grace that he's poured upon me that I want to be with him. It's... It's not just your desire and not just your strength that actually, you know, makes you choose him, but he helps you choose him. He helps you get there. I love that. Jesus wants to remind us all of the time by inviting himself into our regular lives. He is in the business of reminding us. And then ultimately, it fuels us to be missional. It fuels us to act. It compels us. And then we move on to where he, where these, they they don't dare to ask him, who are you? I love that. First things first, this is like, uh, I've been reading a bunch of N.T. Wright lately. Um... 
And then when Tim Keller recently died, I don't know if you guys heard that about last, yesterday, yesterday, um, now I'm on a Tim Keller binge, so, you know, I probably will be for a while, you'll hear lots of quotes. I don't have any quotes of his today, but, um, but N.T. Wright reminded me of something that I, I totally forgot about. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. What I love about that is, what did he, who, where was he sitting around when he denied Jesus? A charcoal fire. Oh, Jesus is using all of his, his smell and his ambiance and the experience that he had. In a weird way, obviously what's happening is Peter's being reminded of his shameful act, but Jesus is actually trying to remind him of his forgiveness. That's what he's trying to do. And Jesus will do this with you as well. He will do this with you. So I love that. I love that Jesus is using all senses. And where it says, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I love this because it says, I, I wrote down, I know that when we truly live for Jesus, even if we have a season of wandering and questioning, when we hear God's voice or we see God's handiwork in our life, we will recognize that it's God. That's another part where he's in the business of helping us recognize that he is God. He wants to show his goodness for you. He wants to show his power to you. He is not trying to withhold that ever. He's not trying to withhold that. He might want to teach you a lesson and you might feel like you're a little bit rough around the edges and life's kind of hard. But Jesus is going to show his power. He's going to do it. And when he does, it's going to change your positioning in your heart. And you're going to go, wow, this is God. And he's worthy to listen to. He's worthy to follow. This whole thing is happening before he even says, follow me. At the very end of the scripture, he is reminding him all these things. It's a great picture I love that God is a process God. He actually puts us through processes and journeys to get to us where, to where we want to be. He does not tell you where you're going to be in one week. He does not tell you where you're going to be in five years. And I'm so thankful because I wouldn't want to be here. And that doesn't mean I want to be here. But I wouldn't want to be dealing with a trash house that's falling apart, okay? I don't know about you guys, but there's many things in your life that you would not want to go through if you knew about it. But God brings us through that process and he prepares us for these moments um, I love it we will know it's Jesus when he works and that's because we recognize him it's because we've experienced him before All right, so this is the, the most intense part of the scripture, and it's just going to be this transaction. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, it's 15 through 17, um, if you want to read it with me. Um, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. I like to add, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is really hard for all of us to apply this to our life because we think of sheep as being a church. We think of, I mean, that is the, that is the, the idiom or the imagery that we see in the Bible where a sheep is, is a, you know, a shepherd is the one who is tending to the sheep, which a shepherd is a pastor. Technically, the word pastor means shepherd. In every other, well, I don't know about every other language, but all the Latin languages, they would say, you, there is no different word for pastor and sheep. It's the same word. We actually have created a new word. I don't know why. Anyway, so this is important because I want you guys to know that this is not just for Peter who's going to start the next church. I actually believe that we all need to be looking at this. We all need to have some um, part of feeding sheep, some part of tending to sheep. And I, I believe that our church really believes that and actually really does these things. That's why we have missional communities. That's why we, we have plural leadership at, in our eldership. And it's because we want as many people, if not everyone, to have agency in this whole thing. We're supposed to be helping each other out, feeding and tending. So I want you to apply this to yourself. What I love about this is that the number three is significant. Let's look at this. Why does he ask him three times? I think it because it connects with this. He was told he'd deny him three times. He's saying, do you love me for the first denial? Do you love me for the second denial? Do you love me for the third denial? This is another piece of reminding him that he is redeemed for these things. But how is he redeemed? But ultimately at the end of the scripture is by following him. By tending to a sheep. Now it doesn't mean that you're redeemed by the works that you do. It's just I've been telling you this whole time that you're compelled by his grace. You're compelled by the fact that he died for your sins to tend to a sheep. To do mission. And so this is all part of it. It's all part of it. The thing that God is going to do in your life is going to get you to a place where you are serving and loving other people. And that is now the gospel in a full circle. He loved you, so you love them. Right? Amen. Number three is important. Um, the next thing is, I love, I, I, I stole this from N.T. Wright, but I love this. I, I did look at, I, I read through the Greek and try to understand the Greek um, as much as I can, and I've got some really great tools to help me do that. And one thing that I find very interesting is in the ESV and multiple other uh, versions, they do not have this one way of, of reading it. The first two times that Jesus says, do you love me? He actually says, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Which is a selfless, all, like, my whole body love. 
everything about me. I'm going to give up my whole life to love you. I'm going to sacrifice myself to love you. And Jesus is saying, do you agape me? But how does Peter respond? Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Yes, Lord, I friend love you. I brotherly love you, which is a great love, but it's not agape love. Okay, it is different, very different. So Jesus says, well, then it says, actually says, then um, feed my lambs. So he said, feed my little kids, you know, feed my fledglings, the ones that are just learning to know Jesus, feed them. And then he says to him again, John, do you agape me? And what does John say? Yes, of course I do. Like with almost an attitude, of course I do. I phileo you. He's like missing the piece. He's missing something here. He's saying, yes, I brotherly love you. He cannot give up 100% his, that, that agape love for some reason. And then he says, tend my sheep. Interesting, he says, feed my lambs and then tend my sheep. These are not the same things. Feeding lambs is going to be, uh, is going to be uh, helping the young believers to understand, you know, God's grace and, and very simple things. But now he's saying to the next thing, tend my sheep, tend the annoying ones now. That's what sheep are, by the way. You guys are a bunch of sheep. You guys are a bunch of annoying people to each other. That's how it is. I mean, it's kind of mean to say that, but we bite and we, we, we're just not like always nice to each other. Believers are not nice to each other because we are still immature sheep, okay? And he's saying, don't just feed my precious lambs that are easy to love, but actually I want you to love now the people that are not lovable, that are very hard to love. Now what I love about this is the third time, which is I think the, probably the most profound to me, is that Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He changes his love the way that he asks. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And he said, do I phileo you? He said that that time. Do you know, uh, you know that I phileo you? This is why I feel like this is significant. And don't get me wrong, I don't understand how that language works. I really don't. Um, and I don't understand how he could be missing the piece of agape and he says phileo. I don't understand that. But if you go look up the Greek, that's what it says. That's very interesting. And What's really challenging about that is that what is Jesus doing when he ends up reverting to another love the third time? And uh, this is where I feel like uh, N.T. Wright really, really hits it on the head, is he explains the fact that Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to meet you where you're at. You can't love me agape right now. That's fine. But you are going to brotherly love me, right? And he's, he's, he's coming to us, and I want you to look at this in your own life, and he's saying, you are limited in your love. I understand that. See, 
Jesus is not asking you to have the godlike love that he has because we are incapable of doing that without time of, of, of you know, God doing things in our life. And God has to get us to that point to fully agape him, to fully want to sacrifice our whole life. Um, he does not, I mean, he wants us to, but he doesn't expect us to because he knows that we are limited. And that's okay, we're allowed to be limited, and that's what I like to see this, but he doesn't want us to limit, be limited forever. He wants to teach us how to agape. But I love that he meets us where he's, where he's at. And why does this matter? I'll tell you that I've been following the Lord now uh, strongly for 18 years. I've been actually in ministry for basically about that whole amount of time. And there have been moments this year and many years prior to this, but this year, where I've said, God, I want to love you like you want me to love you. I want you to, I want to do the things you're wanting me to do, but I don't think I have the capacity to do it. I have reached a place where I don't have the capacity. It has nothing to do with whether I want to, because I think the desire is there, but I don't have the capacity. I'm running low. How many of you guys have ran low at some point in your life or running low even now? It's okay to run low because God says, you're, I know you're limited. I know you don't have everything. I know you don't, you can't do this. And this is kind of my reminder when we're reading the scripture is that he's like, you know what? But love me with what you have. Give the love that you can. Love me the way that you can. That means feed my lambs the way that you're able to. Tend my sheep the way that, you, that you're able to. So Jesus meets us where, our, where we're at. When our understanding of loving Jesus, uh, following him and listening to him is limited, he still meets us at that place and invites us to follow him. So this is actually a quote from N.T. Wright. Where he says, feed my lambs, attend my sheep. He is actually like weaving the word forgiveness inside the word of new commission. So he's trying to help you understand that as you do these things, he is actually forgiving you. He's forgiving you as you do these things. It's not because you do these things. I just got to make sure the gospel is very clear. It's not because of it. But as you're doing this, we're experiencing forgiveness. And so the very last thing I wanna share and then we're gonna go into uh, communion is this very last bit that he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not wanna go. And then ultimately he says, after saying that, he said uh, to him, follow me. Basically, clearest way to explain this is this is a warning that if you are to choose to follow me and feed and tend my sheep, you will lose your life. That's what he's trying to say. But you again will gain new life because of it. We know that from other scriptures. Another way to say that this is another way for him to say, take up your cross. You're going to die the way that you don't want to die is ultimately what this says. You're going to be treated the way that, you're, that you don't want to be treated. 
but ultimately you're doing it for me. And so if you do follow me, be prepared that it's going to be hard. And I think that that is the piece that a lot of Christians and a lot of churches don't do when they share the gospel. So I want to share the gospel in a, in the same way that I norm, you know that we would normally share. But I want you guys to hear this in the frame of understanding how hard it's going to be. Jesus died for your sins. You've screwed up. You have shame. You've messed up. You have. And you continue to mess up. But Jesus died for your sins, died for your transgressions, and he forgives you. He shows grace and mercy to you because of what he did on that cross or, or through what he did on that cross. Now he lives again. And the live again is very important because the living again now gives us a reason to live. And the reason why we live is to prepare the church, prepare the world for when Jesus comes again. And that's what we're doing. We are living in the new time where we are experiencing, um, you know, people changing their lives so that one day when Jesus comes, we will all be able to enjoy the kingdom together. Okay? But where the hard thing is, is that this last piece is not easy. So I want you to say yes to Jesus today. And I know many of you guys have said yes to Jesus. You guys are following God. But maybe you guys need to say yes to Jesus again, just to remind yourself. Not saying because you're going to get saved again, okay? That's a whole other thing that we can talk about one day. But ultimately, what you need to do is you need to say, God, I say yes to the hard future life that you have before me. Because I know that it is righteous and good and that it is not only changing other people's lives, but it's changing my life every day. That's the yes you're going to say today. Okay? So as we go through communion, when you partake in communion, the yes that you are doing, when you take that bread, when you take that, when you take the blood, you're saying, Jesus, I, this is worthy, a worthy cause for me to live my life. And I am willing to, to have communion with you and share life with you, even if it's hard. And when it's hard. Not just even, but when it's hard. Not if, but when it's hard. And so um, I'm going to pray and then, and then we'll, we'll get into communion. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. And God, as we're going through this time, as we are dealing with um, all the shame and stuff that we have dealt with. And we're dealing with the, the hard... Um, reality that, that life is, is not the same and it should never be the same and the same is actually could be harder than before. For some of us it is better but for some of us it might be harder because we're having to sacrifice a whole lot more. But Lord when we do God you remind us how good you are and how powerful you are and how much you love us through it. And I just pray Lord that you will help us see that today as we take it.